This is God's holy and infallible word. It is not the words of men, but it is the word of God as revealed to Micah the prophet. So let's give honor to God's word if we're able. Let's stand as we read together Micah chapter 9, chapter 4, I mean, verses 9 through 13. Micah 4, 9 through 13. Hear God's holy word. Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you, who say, Let her be polluted, and let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the flesh to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hooves I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Let's pray. Glorious God, we pray that you would bless this, your word, and help us to receive it and help us to believe it and to understand the, the great and mighty rescue that we have through Jesus Christ, but also the victory that is ours in Jesus our Lord, the King of heaven and earth. We ask these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Micah is a book, um, not that long of a prophecy, but it does foretell the coming destruction and capture, um, you could say siege and capture, of both the northern and southern kingdoms. If you look back at chapter 1, it talks about, we'll look at chapter 1, verse 5, gives us the reason for why there is a judgment. It says, For the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country. Um, he goes on to tell that it's because of the idols of the people, it's because of the sins of the leaders, it's because of the sins of the false prophets, many various reasons why God brought judgment unto them. Uh, if you are familiar with Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28 in the Old Testament, we're not going to turn there now, but we will turn there later, it talks a, little, a good bit about blessing and cursing. <coughs> 
blessing for people who keep God's word, but cursing for those who will, who disobey and turn to deaf, dumb idols. And we'll look at a little bit of how that came to pass. As we look at today's text, we're going to look at it in onto two very simple points. God's rescue and Israel's victory. And then under Israel's victory, we'll look at defining Israel, especially in concerning um, how it relates to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So what is God's refuge, uh, rescue? Well, before we look at God's rescue, we have to look at the suffering and what God was going to rescue the people from. Uh, let's look at the suffering God is describing there in Micah 4, starting at verse 9. Micah 4, 9. Why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. The first thing noticed here and that I want to make clear is that when God asked this question about not having a king and having counselors that perished, I want us to understand that that's a bad thing. There are people today who think that we don't need rulers, we don't need kings, we don't need law enforcement, we just need to give people the freedom to do anything and everything that they want. So the, the thing that we should fear would be the breakdown of rule in our nation. If there was no king to be found, if there was no counselor or governor, and if they all perished, I think we would be in a terrible condition. And there are parts of this nation that are in a terrible condition. Now, I haven't told, I haven't told many of you this, but when I was a kid, I loved the thought of anarchy. Um, I used to write the symbol. It was like an A with a circle around it. I thought it was cool. Probably because I grew up in, I was born in 1975, and I loved the Mad Max movie, Mad Max number two, The Road Warrior. If you've ever seen that, it's like, post-apocalyptic after like a nuclear war or whatever and everything's just trashy and dirty and people are filthy and you know with the great racing scenes and fight scenes and all that and you know it's a cool movie but would you, would you really want to live in a world like that where gangs and vile thugs reign that's a horrible naive thing to want not to have rulers over us. Well, there are parts of the nation where people commit burglaries and other crimes with armed robbery and are not put in jail for very long and are let back out. Um, in Portland, Oregon, who has some of the worst laws in the nation that has caused a breakdown of um, the rule of law, the last, I just saw this, it was an article that was written last two, uh, three weeks ago, that the last two Walmarts in the entire city of Portland, Oregon, has closed down. And the reason was, it says, a record-breaking retail theft. And there were some stores where all the windows are bashed in, and they're boarded up and all that stuff. Um, that's a judgment of God. To be without rule. 
Um, Romans 13.3 says that rulers are not a cause of fear for bad behavior. Uh, there are not a, I'm sorry, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. If you do evil, you should be afraid. But that's why God has set up rulers. Micah goes on to use this vivid illustration of what the Israelites would go through using language described here in these verses, in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. Now, for you ladies who've endured childbirth without an epidural, you probably can relate to this better than the, well, I'm saying probably, you will relate to this better than men can, right? Um, now, I guess the other question is that if, um, what could we compare to such pain? I'm, I'm guessing if you, if you fractured your spine or something like that, or you fractured a major bone, maybe it might be kind of somewhat equivalent, but imagine the most agonizing pain you've ever had. That's what it's talking about here. Just immense, ridiculous pain. But then he goes on to describe why they were going to suffer like this. What was the cause of their suffering? Look at the second half of verse 10. It says, For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. Now, you know, being out in the field and going to Babylon, yeah, that's, that's, that's terrible. But what caused them to have to go out in the field and then be brought to Babylon was first a terrible siege of the city. I, I, some records say that it lasted three months before the, the city fell. There was death by attackers, by arrow, maybe uh, them launching catapults of things into the city. People died by that sort of stuff. But the worst and the most terrible agony that the people suffered was death by starvation. And all this is the outcome of what God warned his people about. God warned his people that this would happen. Such immense agony like that of childbirth would happen to them. Look back at Deuteronomy 28. I I thought about not reading this, especially in the company of uh, young people. But then I had a second thought that, you know what, God put this in the Bible, and if I hate to think that we're just going to skip portions of the Bible and not teach our children all of what the Bible has to say, but this is probably some of the worst, most horrendous judgment found in all of Holy Scripture. Let's look at Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 45. So all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Why? Because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. In other words, they, they worship pagan idols. They sacrifice their children to, to pagan gods. Some of them... Um, 
put their, made their children pass through the fire. Other such horrendous things. Verse uh, 46. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. The Babylonians, for example, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed, who also leaves you no grain, new wine or oil, nor the increase of your herd or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land and it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout the, your land which the Lord your God has given you. Then you shall eat of the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters from whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the distress by which your enemies will oppress you. The man who is refined and very delicate among you shall be hostile toward his brother and toward the wife he cherishes and toward the rest of his children who remain, so that he will not give even one of them any of the flesh of his children which he will eat, since he has nothing else left, since the siege and distress by which your enemy will oppress you in all of your towns." And the refined, delicate woman among you who would not venture to set uh, the sole of her foot on the ground for delicateness and refineness shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes and toward her son and daughter. And we'll stop there. All this happened. All this gruesome, terrible stuff happened. To the Jews. It was one of the most horrendous things. Of course, this is also repeated in 70 AD when the Romans besieged Jerusalem as well. Many of the same things happened in 70 AD. This, after this great childbirth agony, you could say, they then went to captivity. Uh, some people say that it was approximately 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And then the Babylonians were taken over by the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then later on, the people returned. But for their sins, they suffered 70 years in captivity. It says here in the text, it says, There in Babylon, uh, this is uh, the end of verse 10 and following, it says, there in Babylon, you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. 
And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, Let her be polluted, and let our eyes gloat over Zion. God, despite the nations being against his people, God delivers them. God delivers them and rescues them. And we'll look a little bit more at that rescue through Jesus Christ. But he rescues them to give them not just a place to live and satisfaction. He gives them victory, according to today's text. Going from being captive, going from being oppressed, going from being in child labor, it goes to say that they're giving victory. Look at verses 12 through 13. But they, that's those who are gloating over Israel, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Um, Sheaves of wheat is being uh, threshed on the threshing floor to gain a harvest. God's going to gain a harvest from them. It's verse 13. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hooves I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Um, In other words, Zion, the people of Zion, the daughter of Zion, the Israelites, they're the ones to be doing the threshing. They're going to thresh somebody. Now, we have to ask, well, when did this come to pass in history? What is the fulfillment of this? Um, When did God give his people victory after the captivity? Um, There was a time uh, after the Seleucid uh, Empire, if you've probably heard this name of Antiochus, Antiochus uh, the fourth, Antiochus the fourth, um, he's also called Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, who ruled in the uh, Seleucid Empire. He was a terrible oppressor of the Jews. And if you remember a little bit of history, what happened after that was that the Maccabean revolt happened, recorded in uh, what we call the Apocrypha, First and Second Maccabees. Now, is it a good piece of history to read? Yes. Is it good theology to find from that? Uh, I, I would be very careful. There's some bad theology because it wasn't written by a theologian. In spot, it, was, it wasn't written by a, a prophet. It was written by military leaders who led a revolt. So you've you got to remember what's the context. These are military leaders who led a revolt, and they're not prophets or theologians of any sort. But that was a case where God gave his people victory, a great threshing of victory over those who oppressed them. But here's where I find that you can't just look at the the Maccabean revolt as the fulfillment of this. Because they're not just going to pulverize one group who's trying to oppress them. They're going to pulverize many peoples. Now, when, after the Babylonian captivity, did the Jews return and have victory in pulverizing many peoples? This cannot be understood, I believe, in modern history or in past history. This points 
to the work of Jesus Christ. This has to be something that happens through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Um, The problem is when you have a prophecy like this, and you read about this and you say, well, hmm, this is the future of our nation. We're going to have like hooves of iron and we're going to pulverize the other nations. And when God gives us a Messiah, that's what's going to happen. I want us to turn, keep your place in Micah, but turn to Psalm uh, 45. I think Psalm 45 is another psalm that may have given them an expectation for a Messiah that was to be a mighty warrior king who would trample upon other nations. Um, Psalm 45, uh, we'll start at verse 3. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty, and in your majesty ride forth or ride on victoriously. For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the peoples. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God... Your God has anointed you. Anointing was for the the Christ, the Messiah. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. The expectation for the one who is going to be anointed, where, of course, this is very interesting because uh, verse 7 says, God, your God. So God and, and the Messiah are both God. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, But is one who seems to be such a mighty ruler, shooting arrows into the heart of the enemies, slaying enemies. And that's kind of what the Jews expected when they met Jesus. They wanted, some wanted to take him and make him a king by force, that he would be this mighty warrior Messiah. And and if, if they read some of these passages, and especially Micah, they would say, well, God's going to give us victory not over our oppressors, uh, uh, the Romans. God's going to give us victory over all the peoples. We're going to have conquest. So I'm asking this question again. When do we find the fulfillment of what we read here in Micah? That God is going to cause uh, His people to pulverize others or to set up uh, this kingdom of sort. Uh, I do want us to look at, think of the language you've read here in Micah. Think of the language you've read here in Psalm 45 and turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 tells us of the victory we have through a mighty warrior Christ. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on, his, written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God made flesh in John 1. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the one through whom we have the victory. Jesus is the one through whom the nations will be conquered. But is he going to conquer them with weapons of war? It says he will conquer them by the word of his mouth by that holy word of God and through his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Who's on the defense? Hell is. Hell has the gates set up and they're being bashed down by the work of the church and they will not stand against the church. And... Um, I love that benediction. I've used it last Lord's Day concerning what God tells us in Romans 16. May you crush the head of Satan shortly. May you, as the church, soon crush the head of Satan. How can we do that? Well, we are the body of Christ. And Christ is the victorious one. And his church, which is his body, will continue and endure, yes, oftentimes through trial and tribulation, suffering and persecution, yet he delivers his church and he gives them the victory. For those who might say, well, I don't know if I want to commit myself to this Lord Jesus or not. I don't know if I want to confess my sins and put my faith in Jesus. I don't know. Whose side would you want to be on? Would you want to be on the side of Jesus Christ, who's almighty and powerful and will tread over his enemies? Or would you rather be on the side of the evil one who is to be crushed? I would rather put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not, if you have not believed and trusted and had placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Repent of your sins. Believe in Him as your only means of salvation. He is the only one. He is the only name through which we may be saved. He is the one who has made the only sacrifice that can deliver us. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that it's through Jesus Christ that you have given us the victory. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be spared from the wrath to come. But we do thank you that as those who are his body, that you will give your church a victory 
even though through trials and tribulations, we pray that your church would continue. We pray that your church would, would flourish. We pray that the gates of hell would be broken down. And we pray that through your church, that we would continue that job which Jesus Christ started, that we would continue to smash upon the head of the, of the evil one, that serpent of old. Bless your people. Give us faith to believe that we have victory in Jesus. We ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 64. 64 in the Old Red Trinity. God the Lord, a King remaineth.